0: Welcome back to the Radiant Podcast, and this week we have a second timer here with us, Ashley Abercrombie. Guys, she is such a fireball, and every single time I have a conversation with her, I leave inspired and ready to take on the world. And so, with her new book coming out, Rise of the Truth Teller, I had to get her back on here to chat and to share what her heart is behind this book, this message, and to continue inspiring and encouraging you guys. And so, I am so excited to have her back on. A little bit about Ashley, if you haven't caught her story before, but Ashley fought to overcome addiction, rape, abortion. Abortion, perfectionism, and dysfunctional relationships—to become an honest, whole, and free woman. Which she puts in parentheses. Most days, she wore a mask more than half her life, and considers herself too old and too annoyed to put that thing on again. Can we all relate? And so, I am so pumped for you to hear her story, for you to get to know her, and to follow along with what she's doing and the message she's releasing into the world. So let's get to it. I want you to meet my friend, Ashley. I'm so pumped for you to hear this episode and let's dive in. Hey, Ashley. Hi, Kelsey. It's so good to be back with you guys. I am so glad to have you back on. I am so excited for what you're doing. And I just thought, you know, you got to come back on the Radiant Podcast and tell us what's going on in your world. So for those of our listeners who maybe haven't met you, I would love for you to share your story, what you're up to, catch us up to speed. But also, you know, you've been on here before you've given us the full gamut. And so any of our listeners can go back to the original episode with you, just search Ashley Abercrombie radiant podcast. You'll find that episode, but I would love for you to kind of also give us an update of what you've got going on in your world.
1: Yes. Well, thank you so much. So I am living in Manhattan with my husband and our two boys. We have a two-year-old and a five-year-old and they are adorable and wild. And I can um, tell you that seven cups of coffee a day is how I roll. (laughs) And recently, I just finished writing my very first book called Rise of the Truth Teller, Own Your Story, Tell It Like It Is, and Live with Holy Gumption. And I am so, so excited to release this book out into the world. And I am very, very passionate. As Kelsey already said, if you go back and listen to our episode, I'm so passionate about story and owning your story and the power of your story, because we all have things that we've gone through. We all have things that we've overcome. We all have a contribution to make to the world that comes directly from the heart of our story. And so I'm very passionate about that. So finishing up, that book, podcasting, doing all kinds of fun stuff in my life and loving it. Busy as a bee, but I love it. Uh,
0: Yeah, I'd say busy would be, you know, the right word for that. So what was the heart behind Rise of the Truth Teller? I've been really excited for this book to come out. I know that writing a book is no small feat. So tell us kind of about where that message started and kind of what you're hoping as it makes its way into the world.
1: Yes. Well, I think we all have a unique picture of purpose and what our life is going to look like. And for me, writing was always one of those through lines of my life. Like I've been doing it since I was a little girl and I had had a dream my whole life to be a full-time writer, which happened last fall when I got my book deal. And so that's incredible. After 20 years of waiting and doing it as my side hustle, it's now become my main thing. So that is a a big step forward for me personally and purpose. And all of my writing training has actually been in fiction writing. So I thought that I would write a novel first, but that is just so not how it went. <laughs> really? I was, okay, we'll have to talk about that, yes. but tell me more. Yes. And so I ended up writing this book. And initially, the book had seven terrible titles. I mean, just one bad title after another. <laughs> and then um, my agent, who is so wonderful, just said to me, You know what? It really feels like this book is a book about telling the truth. And I was like, Yes, that really sums up who I am. I've had a blog for years called Old Fashioned Truth Telling. I'm like, This. This is who I am. And so that the rise of the truth teller is birthed out of that, the desire for us to not just know truth, but to live truth and to be the kind of people who don't want to tell it like it is to everybody else or tell it like it is about everybody else. But people who are like, I tell the truth about myself first, and I live from a place of integrity and authenticity, and that is my way in the world. And that makes a huge difference. And I wanted to write a book about that and using story to talk about difficult things in our world, everything from sexual assault, which I personally have experienced, to you know, mass incarceration, to racism, to uh, gender inequality. So it's a, it's a great book about the power of story and how we can see each other through the lens of story rather than these polarizing dualistic narratives. There's this beautiful space of nuance where we all live together in community. And that's what this book is about.
0: Oh, yes. So you (laughs) grew up in the South, and I love, like, your bio says, I watch the women in my life do a little truth telling. Have you always been blunt? I mean, what's your Enneagram number? Oh my gosh, I'm an eight with a nine wing. Okay, I wonder. (laughs) My guess was that you're an eight, which I love. I love a female eight. Um, (laughs) I've got an eight wing. So, okay, so it sounds like maybe a little truth telling has probably been in your bones since it really has. the day you were
1: born? Mm-hmm. And yes, it really has. <laughs> where,
0: from, where did this kind of culture of truth-telling start in your family? Obviously, it's like naturally who you are, but you mm-hmm. also, it sounds like you watched the women in your life do a little truth-telling too.
1: Yes, I did. From my mom, who's a beautiful truth-teller, to my grandma, to my great-grandmother, Lucy. I mean, they Just, I come from a long lineage of like spitting, kicking, like, we'll just tell you the truth kind of women. They've got so much guts and gumption, a lot of grit, and it's so beautiful. Um, And at the same time, you know, being raised in the South, we learned to survive by wearing a mask and by not being honest about the really broken parts of ourselves. And so I think that's an important caveat to this. And also I wonder if that's how my nine wing developed because I actually really struggle to be honest sometimes in my most intimate relationships. And so that would be true of my formative upbringing as well, where in our household, sometimes we really struggle to talk about difficult things and we really struggle to be honest about things that were really hurting us. Um, And it was just sort of like, hey, let's, let's not talk about it. Let's ignore that. Let's pretend like that's not happening versus sort of hitting the issue head on. So I personally have had to do a lot of growth in telling the truth about myself and and being honest about where I am. And I think you're only as honest as your last tell. So even though I have this crazy past, I still have to have a rhythm of practicing truth-telling now so that I can share what are my current real-time struggles and how am I dealing with those? And am I okay? Like, how am I really doing? And I have to constantly ask myself those questions so that I can remain a truth-teller in my day-to-day life and not just like, Hey, this is a thing that happened to me and now I've overcome it, you know, because we all have issues, problems. And we all have character flaws, like nobody's perfect and it's okay to say so. Yeah. that's the process of truth telling for me.
0: (laughs) That is good because I think you're right. You know, um, I love that you said, I think we're just as good as the last story we've told. Is that what you said? Mm, Um, I, I love that because that's so true. And it is really easy to want to share the story once there's like a nice, pretty bow on it. I I have a reframer to my core. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I'll tell you every single thing about me, but I like to tell you once it's better. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Not always in the middle. So yep. how have you practiced this um, discipline of truth-telling and what would your advice be to someone learning to do that? Someone that led a summer camp program I was at in like college mm-hmm. so said that the enemy likes to tell us to keep our sin and shame in the darkness, but really Mm. it's there that it festers. Whereas out in the light is where we experience true freedom, but he's going to do everything to keep us from bringing that out into the light. And so how do you do that practically? And for someone that, you know, I'd say it's more of a natural inclination to you for someone who's been conditioned to keep Mm -hmm. it, to wear that mask and not had any practice with truth telling, where do they start?
1: Yes. Well, I think it's important to start with your most safe relationships. And so, even if you're like, man, Ashley, I'm in a season where I'm feeling very isolated or very alone, and I don't know who I can trust. I think that we all have sort of an inkling on the inside of us that we can trust that says to us, this person is safe. Or each time I've needed something, this is the person that I've called. Or every time I'm like, man, it's really falling apart. This is who I want to talk to. And I think engaging with that person in a way that's honest and more open. And you just give a little truth and you give a little more and you give a little more and you give a little more. And that's kind of how you create a roadmap to integrity and trust and safety. And that's really important. Who are the people in your life that you feel comfortable to be honest with? Because that was the big deal for me is making sure that I was in relationship because I struggle already to not just do things myself and to not just sort of live life in a way that's very um, independent of others. And because (laughs) I struggle to do that, I I know that it's accountability and friendship that really will hem me in. And it is the thing that keeps me honest over and over and over again. And I think once you've created sort of those roadmaps in relationship with others, then they are the ones who also help you like, hey, I can tell you're saying one thing, but I can tell that something else is going on with you. Like, what do you really need? Are you okay? And they're the people who will begin to ask you difficult questions and ask you, you know, push past sort of your facade. We need those people in our life, or otherwise, we'll just keep running until we crash and die. (laughs) Yeah. And I think sometimes truth telling can feel like a personality type. Like, oh, that person's just more bold or they're more honest or they're more open. And I don't always think it's true. I mean, I think that there are many people who are very honest and open, but are not emotionally connected to what Mm -hmm. they're saying. Mm -hmm. And so that's also not being honest. Like just to tell the truth, to tell it is not being honest. But when you're connected in relationship with others and and you're connected to the things that are coming out of your mouth, and that's when you know like, okay, I'm really being an honest person who's authentic and genuine. And it's important to know that integrity doesn't mean perfection. Like so often in the Bible, you'll see, the word perfect, but what it really means is whole. And so that means that we can be broken in the midst of our wholeness. We can be broken in the midst of our integrity because perfection is not our goal. Progress is the goal. Wholeness is the goal. And so it's important to remember that as well, that this is not like a zero sum game. Like you don't get it right every time. You're not perfectly honest every time. You know, it's, it's a give and take in relationship. Ooh, girl, you can preach.
0: That is good. (laughs) So, you know, if you're, a woman looking for friends that you can be honest in these relationships. You know, I know finding new friends and especially especially moving to a new city um, really gave me a different level of compassion because, you know, in Nashville, I have like 40 best friends, but in Colorado Springs, I have like two, you know, and and making new friends is like the very worst part of dating. (laughs) And so how, but also the fun part, you know, but how would you what would you say to the woman who's like, I don't have any friends I can do that with?
1: Gosh, well, first of all, I would say I feel you and you're not alone. Um, My family made a huge move from Los Angeles to New York City three years ago. And so I came here not knowing anyone, wasn't close to anybody, didn't have a single friend in the world and went from having 15 years of community to having zero. And so I, I've been there and I know exactly what that feels like. And so for me, part of it was engaging in different spaces. Like I led a writing group through my faith community and, and just saw who would come. Writing's one of my giftings. I was like, well, let's just try it. I'll I'll just start one and see what happens. And writing created this great space for us, to be honest. And so I think anything from joining a faith community to joining your chamber of commerce. In your city, if you're a business owner, or potentially thinking about are there any book clubs that I could get involved in? What are there meetups that are happening? Is there, you know, a business group that I could be a part of as a woman? And if you don't see anything, potentially you could start something in your neighborhood or at your kid's school. You could find different ways to get involved. Um, so I think it's important to look for what's already happening in the city and just try it. And then and managing disappointment is huge in building relationships. And I'm sure you experienced this yeah. Kelsey in Colorado. It's like, you could be perpetually disappointed if you keep holding everybody up to a certain standard that either you used to have or what you think might work. But the reality is building relationship, exactly like you said, it's like dating. I mean, sometimes you're like, well, we're three months in and I realize we have totally different values and this you're cool, but it's not going to be one of my close friends. You know? Yeah. <laughs> And you kind of have to see it as no time lost, but you just have to keep trying, you know, you keep risking and you keep trying because the end result of relationship is so, so worth it. And three years in, I feel like I have a better handle, a better community like you, Kelsey. It still feels very small at times, even though we're part of a beautiful faith community, but those close friends who I would call it three, am um, that's a very short list here in the city. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Same. Like we have a great broader group of people, but the level of deep, close friendships that I have back home, I just... there's a lot more quantity you know I could have a friend date before I left Tennessee I was going on coffee dates from 7 a.m to midnight the few weeks before I left just trying to get all my goodbyes in and these are real deep like not just acquaintance friendships and then I moved here and it was really quiet and it's like oh who are my kind of people and you know all I kind of We're we're, close to someone for a while. And then we realize we're not really each other's kind of people. You know, we're not bringing out the best in each other. We're hitting a brick wall and going deep, you know, whatever. And so it's taken time to realize, like, who are my people? And then also to let the relationships that, you know, are yielding deep connectedness are, you know, potentials to becoming best friends. I had to wait for that to evolve. Like, that doesn't happen overnight, you know. No, it does not. It's been, you know, wild Um, and and given me a a much deeper level of compassion because it was just so much easier, you know, where I was from. And so, uh, you know, finding those friendships, I think we're all going to have to find new friends at some point in life, whether that's because of a move or because of some life changes, whatever. Um, But finding, finding those people where you can take off the mask, go a little deeper and do a little truth telling. um, It's worth the work. Wouldn't you
1: say? It's absolutely worth the work because that's, that's what makes life meaningful. And it's also when you're going through something or when you're or having a major transition in your life. It's like, that's the good stuff when somebody can show up and celebrate with you and somebody can show up and sit with you and be present to you and vice versa. They give you the honor and privilege of showing up for them and being with them in the midst of their stuff. I think it's so, so important. So it's worth the way, it's worth the risk. It's worth all the bad dates. <laughs> it's worth all the potential rejection. It's really good. <laughs>
0: something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals i know i personally have had some major mindset blocks that felt like huge hurdles in my own personal journey of achieving my goals you know it was helpful for me sitting my booty in that chair each month and processing through these roadblocks with my amazing counselor now hear me when i say i know finding a counselor can be as tough as dating That's where Faithful Counseling comes in. Faithful Counseling will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. Faithful Counseling is a solution for people seeking traditional mental health counseling who would prefer hearing from the perspective of a Christian. If you're seeking a mental health professional who's a practicing Christian, Faithful Counseling may be a great option for you. You can start communicating in under 24 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise in Faithful Counseling's counselor network, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly or video phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. Faithful Counseling is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional online counseling and financial aid is available. And guys, don't just take it from me. You can read tons of reviews over on their website. One faithful client writes, in the short amount of time I've been working with my counselor, Colleen, I've gained great clarity and I'm excited to continue working through various personal matters. Guys, visit faithfulcounseling.com slash the Radiant Podcast Join over 500,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional today. We've got a special offer for The Radiant Podcast listeners, and you can get 10% off your first month at faithfulcounseling.com slash The Radiant Podcast. Once again, that's 10% off your first month at faithfulcounseling.com slash The Radiant Podcast. Guys, I'm so excited for you to start taking control of your mindset and overcoming those mindset hurdles today at faithfulcounseling.com/slash the radiant podcast. <laughs> So one thing I heard you say too, was you started a writing group, um, mm-hmm. once you moved to New York and yep. I love, I love just hearing that peppered in because you started writing before you had a book deal. You said you've mm-hmm. been writing for 20 years. Yep. He, we, I think a lot of women have a dream of writing and, mm-hmm. um, what does it look like, whether it's writing or really any dream to pursue your dream without the flashy credentials that go with it? You know, I Mm -hmm. I just wrote a book too, but I've been writing. I mean, I have writing samples on my computer that I are from 10 years ago that I thought was the most profound words I'd ever written at the time. And now I'd laugh, but I I think, oh, I should save that because I've come a long way and I've been doing this for myself, for me, because it's something I love, not just for a book deal. So can you talk about that? Because I think a lot of people are waiting till they have, you know,
1: air quote, the opportunity to write when they can start right now, or that could be any dream. 100%. 100%. I am so passionate about helping people um, walk out their gifts and calling, no matter whether they have an opportunity or not. Because I think if you've been gifted with something or you have something that just feels so natural to you, or even something that's a lifeline, and in a lot of ways, writing has always been a lifeline for me. It's a place I could turn to when I was struggling to get words out of my mouth. I could go to writing and sit down and just be honest and tell the truth and be where I am and um, heal and grow and be restored. So I've always sort of needed writing. And I think each of us have that, whether it's it's organizing or it is art or it is music or it's writing or it's, you know, whatever your thing is, everybody has something that they can't just not do it. Um, and for me, that was writing. And I started, I remember starting my blog. I mean, I've been writing since I was like, um, a little, little girl. And when I started my blog back in like, 2010 or something. And I mean, nobody was reading it. Like my husband signed up at the time. We weren't even married. He signed up and then like one of my best friends signed up and my mom, you know, so it's like three people that were reading this blog, but I was so deeply committed to finding my voice and figuring it out. So I think first step is doing it. Second step is not expecting it to be perfect. So my early writing was so bad. I was writing about things like, Ooh, I made a pot roast for my you know, my roommates. And it's like, well, first of all, Pioneer Woman is already doing the best (laughs) pot roast in America, Ashley. Like, we don't need your blog about your bad pot roast that you ripped off from Pioneer Woman, you know? (laughs) And I was writing about fashion and just all these things that I really, that are wonderful things, but they weren't my true voice and they weren't who I really am, but I made a commitment to just do it. And that's the important thing. Um, and do whatever you can. I have a dear friend who writes books and she only writes one day a month because that's all she can give in light of her other responsibilities. And some people write every day, some people write once a week. So I think it's figuring out, okay, look, I'm going to do it no matter who watches. Cause that's the temptation in our social media world is that everybody has to see what we're doing in order for it to be valued. That's not true. So first of all, you have to just commit to doing it, no matter who's watching. The second thing is not expecting it to be perfect. Just do it. You can tweak it later, you can sharpen it later, you can figure things out, just do it. You don't have to have your website perfect before you put it up there, you know, just get your stuff out there. And the third thing is just pursuing opportunities. So for me, that was really huge when I decided to start querying magazines. You know, they didn't know me from Adam. I was a nobody and still in many ways am. But at the same time, querying people and seeing what, do I have the kind of writing that people might enjoy? And sure enough, after many rejections, started getting some yeses. And it was huge for me to be able to experience that. And then celebrate every little step along the way. Celebrate that you did it. Celebrate that somebody responded back to you. Celebrate that someone made a comment, you know, respond to people, whatever it is. And I think those are some important steps that you can take no matter what your purpose is. Don't yield yourself to this idea of perfection so yeah. that you never actually do anything. Ecclesiastes talks about that. If you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. Ooh, yes. <laughs> and it's so true. So just do it. Do that it. Afraid. So do true. it
0: not perfect. <laughs> that is so true. Um, I'm very much a proponent of like releasing it into the world and tweak and refine it along the way. Me um, too. So one thing you said is celebrate and I assume, um, just sheer assumption, but I'd love for you to tell me that you move, that you move through life in the fast lane. How do you Mm -hmm. tangibly celebrate? Cause I I mean, honestly, I turned my book in and like, just moved on with my day, you know, like Mm -hmm. I am really bad at stuff and I've got like probably a personality that Sounds like I'd celebrate all the time. Like, everything's fun. Woohoo! Mm-hmm. is probably my biggest used word. But my own accomplishments, like, I'll celebrate other people all day long. But I yep. don't think I stop to celebrate very well at all.
1: I really do share that, Kelsey. I I am great at celebrating others and getting excited for them and cheering them on. Um, and same thing, I really do struggle. I remember when I got an agent, I, I like didn't tell anyone. I only told a couple people. And then when I got a book deal, it was the same thing. And yes. then I'm like, what am I doing? I'm crazy. I have a book deal. This is something I've waited for twenty years to do. Why am I not sharing this with anyone? So I guess like I don't like tooting my own horn. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is like it's it's actually just feels difficult for me to do that. I guess celebration is is a really important, important, vulnerable thing. That's what my husband talks about very often because he's an excellent celebrator. I mean, he's excellent. So that helps being married to him. But he talks about the vulnerability of celebration because you are allowing others to cheer you on. You're allowing others to do things for you. And your only response is just to enjoy that. And that feels very strange and very Yes.
0: <laughs> I was like, oh, weird.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. But I've, I've gotten better over the years at sort of disciplining myself. I have to do it in my close circle of trust right now. You know, that's who I really allow to celebrate me. I'm sending out a text message or making a little video and being like, this is happening in my life and just enjoying the celebrating. Or if somebody says, I want to take you out for a meal to just celebrate you. That's really awesome. Then, then I've gotten better over the years at allowing that. Um, But sometimes it just, even the quick discipline of pausing and saying, I did that. That's awesome. (laughs) Maybe that's the best you've got right now, but that's still, that's a discipline and do it. (laughs) Okay. Okay. That's, that is,
0: that's good because I am practically learning how to do that right now. Like I'm realizing I'm blazing through life and you reach a milestone that you've dreamt of. Your entire life, like you have dreamt of writing since I was a little girl. That's the one dream that's like been consistent. And I see a lot of random dreams. (laughs) But that's the one dream that's been really consistent. And I just bulldozed through it, you know, like, oh, moving on. Cool. Did it. Done. What's next? And I don't want to really live like that.
1: Yeah, same. You know, Richard Foster has a beautiful book called Celebration of Disciplines. um, And one of them is Celebration. And so I think that that is a great resource and tool for people who struggle to celebrate because in the same way that, you know, prayer is a discipline or fasting is a discipline, um, you know, community fellowship is a discipline, you know, so is celebration. It's a big deal. And if you look throughout the Bible, they were always celebrating. There's always some kind of feast or banquet or something happening, you know, so God actually really does value us in a way that he wants to celebrate us. And so recognizing that and allowing that to be good and okay in our life is a big deal.
0: (laughs) That is so good, man. I'm learning. This is good. This is growth for me. Thank you for uh, preaching to me today. So I would love for you to also shed light on just dreams evolving. You've done an array of things. You've moved across the country. You mentioned that you started with the idea of being a fiction writer versus moving into you know the style of writing. I would love for you to just share about how those dreams have evolved along the way. And that's a big part of my whole 2019, you know, that Mm -hmm. a lot is evolving for me this year. So I would just personally love to know, but I think our listeners too, I have become really passionate about just normalizing that Mm -hmm. dreams evolve and that it's okay for them to take different shapes than what you planned or expected. Mm -hmm. Um, And how could something stay the same for 30 years? Like that's crazy,
1: you know? So I would love for you to
0: just share about that.
1: Yes, I'm, I'm big on evolving. And I think that that's huge because if we are allowing ourselves to constantly become a New person, which is what um scripture talks about. Like we're always being made new. We're always being formed into the image of God. And so as we're formed into his image, that means we're going to change. And change is a really good thing. I think sometimes we we resist change. And some people are perpetually changing in a bad way. So I'm not talking about that. But sometimes <laughs> it's like, okay, maybe just stick with something for more than a month. That would be yes, good too. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, I do think we struggle to give ourselves permission to evolve. We don't give ourselves the opportunity to reevaluate or to reflect. And in the busy culture that we live in, there is no space for reflection, for us to sit back and really go, wait a second, what are my needs? What are my desires? What are the fundamental things that are holding me in place at this moment? How can I acknowledge those? And what's no longer working for me? You know, like I think about when I got married, there were several things I was doing that were no longer working for me. In my dating life, I got married in my early 30s. So in my dating life, I could just run around ragged if I wanted to, come home at nighttime, watch an episode of Matlock. And yes, I did say Matlock. And eat chips and salsa and go to bed, (laughs) you know? And when I got married, I was like, this is never gonna build a marriage. I'm giving my best everywhere else except For my home and my husband. And so I actually had to spend the first couple of years of our marriage learning to flip my energy on its head so I could bring my best to the people who love me the most. And so that was huge. And then when I had kids, I had to reevaluate everything. I'm like, oh my gosh, nothing that I used to do is working for me. I don't know what I have to do differently, but I know that I have to make a lot of changes. And so I think giving myself permission to let go, I always say that great gain means great loss. And so in every gain, there will be a loss. And we have to grieve that. When I became married. I was no longer single. I lost some freedom and I had to grieve that. When I became a mom, I lost some freedom and I had to grieve that. You know, I had to give up a job that I loved back in LA in order to transition into the next season. And it was really hard. It was an excruciating decision, but I had to do it. I knew it was the right thing. And so I had to let myself evolve. And that's part of being honest as well. You know, when you're honest about your needs, when you're honest about your season, when you're honest about where you feel god might be leading you then i think it's it's easier for you to give your per, yourself permission to let go and your yourself permission to step in and so just remember that every yes also means a no And so it's okay to stop for a minute and reflect and grieve that and go, man, this no is going to be really painful, but I know it's the right thing because I know I'm supposed to say yes to that. And so allowing yourself to evolve, that is what disciples do. You know, a disciple translates directly into learner. So a learner is always learning. And the more information you have, then the more you can do, you know? And so it's important for us to remember that, that evolving is a good thing. It is a holy thing thing. It is something we're supposed to do. We evolve in our faith. We evolve in our friendships. We evolve in our relationships. We evolve in our walk with God. We evolve in our purpose. And we don't have to hold on to some standard of what used to be. We can step right into whatever is right now. And that's important. Hey,
0: Girl, I needed that today. Oh my gosh, you are telling the truth. So I, you know, I I think something I want to highlight that you said, and I would love to like, kind of with for a second. I I've heard twice in the last week, um, with change or transition comes loss. And I had never really thought about that before. And this has been the biggest year of change of my Mm. life. And so what would your, what has your experience been waiting through the middle part? And I love an episode y'all did on your podcast. Um, little, little, um, popping this in there. Y'all got to go listen to why though. Um, Mm -hmm. but shameless plug, that's the word I was looking for. (laughs) (laughs) Uh I was like little ping, little plug, shameless plug. Y'all got to go listen to why though. But, um, I, I loved the why it gets harder before it gets better. Kind of the concept of the messy middle. Uh, Um, How do you navigate that? And what is your story of navigating that, especially like leaving LA and moving to New York and and being in the Mm -hmm. middle of that change and transition? Because when you're in the middle, all it feels like is loss
1: until you know what's on the other side. Totally, That's exactly right. Well, I think that, most of the battle is internal, right? And so part of what I do in these seasons that feel very messy, where they feel very much in the middle is I'm constantly managing my mindset. And I think that's a really important thing to do. Um, Because inside my mind, I'm really struggling with the fact that I have to be in this messy middle. I like things to be black and white. I like things to be clear. I like a a good plan laid out. I just want to know yes or no. And I don't think that's a personality type, whether you're a type A or you're, you're a little bit more laid back. Everybody wants to be clear about what the boundaries are. Everybody wants clarity on what their life is. So it's not a personality type thing. I don't think anybody's very comfortable in the gray, but one of the mindsets I do is I remind myself daily and I do this. This is a practice in my life. I remind myself daily. Everything is not going to go according to my plan. And then the second thing I say is life is not perfect. So then I give myself Already in the morning, permission to be messy, permission for things to not go like I thought they would, and permission for things to not be perfect. Because I cannot control other people. I cannot control what happens in projects at work all the time. I can't always control what's going to go on with my kids or people I'm going to interface with throughout the day. I don't know what zone they're going to be in or how we're going to need to respond to one another. So if I already set myself up that it's not going to be perfect, that it's going to be messy, and that my plans are probably going to go awry at some point today, then What's really powerful about that is I am not perpetually disappointed. And I, who am already wired to be a fixer am not constantly in fix it mode, which creates this striving in me that is very, very exhausting. And I feel a need to pretend and perform. So instead of doing that, I can allow myself to be present to my day, be present to the people, be present to um, the moment instead of to my plan and to my idea of perfection. So those are sort of my mindsets that I have in the messy middle that are very, very helpful to me. And then some practical like nuts and bolts because you know, there, there really are those as well is recognizing what I, whatever I need to do in order to grieve. So if you are transitioning into a new season or you've had a major life change or perhaps you you suffered a devastating loss, You know, maybe you lost a baby in this season through a miscarriage or perhaps you've gone through a real devastating moment in your business, lost a great employee or having a really difficult um, month financially or something's going on in your family that's outside of your control or maybe you yourself are struggling with an addiction and you're taking necessary steps to move forward forward, I think it's really important to know that it's okay to get help. You know, that's the first thing I would say, whether it's in your business, hiring a coach, or it's going to therapy because you really got to get a handle on this addiction, or it is, you know, going through grief recovery because this loss is so devastating and it needs to be okay for you to take time to deal with that. So get help, you know, like really get the practical help that you need. Learn from other people who have more wisdom in the area than you do. Read books, listen to podcasts, you know, get the help that you need. That's really important. And then the the last thing I'd say is find a way to just sit still. (laughs) Just find a way to sit still because even in, I know in a season when we left LA, it felt like everything in my life was dying in a way because I was closing the door on a, a faith community that I'd been a part of for 15 years. That was a huge huge loss. And at the same time, I knew I was headed into a season of great gain. But in between those two things was a whole lot of pain and a whole lot of loss. And so I had to really learn to just sit in it, to sit with my loss, to not try to push past it, to not try to make it go away, to not try to cover it up with work or with busyness or different things like that, but to create times and moments in my week where I could just grieve. And sometimes that might have looked like, hey, I'm going to sit down with a friend and some ice cream and I'm going to live my best life. You know, another <laughs> time, that looks like me in my bedroom, just having a moment, crying, taking, a t- taking the time to go, man, this really freaking hurts. And so many things about this are not fair, but God, I know that you're still good. And I know God that you're faithful. So I'm going to trust you and I'm going to sit here in the middle of this, not knowing where I'm going, but trusting that you're going to make a way for me. So I think having a practice of silence and solitude and reflection is a really big deal.
0: That's good girl. That is honestly, and people have heard me talk about it over the course of the year, but this has been one of the harder years of my life and I'm no stranger mm-hmm. to pain. That's <laughs> and right. so, um, just the level of transition and knowing even moving into a good new season, uh, there's been a lot of loss and pain and yeah, fear. Yes fear for me involved. Oh, I mean, it's like scary. final destination in my head at all times. And so mm. um really learning to manage my mindset um and, and create some disciplines every single day on how I manage
1: my mindset mm. in this season. And so it has been
0: a hell of a year.
1: Um, yes, I've been there. I've been there. I know it and know it well intimately. <laughs> Man, Ashley, I could talk to you all day long. I would love the same
0: about you. (laughs) I would love you know while we spend the remainder of our time together for again you to just touch on the heart behind your book, what your hope is in this message getting into your readers' hands or listeners, if it's an audiobook. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. What could the radiant listeners expect when they crack open your book?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Well, I think we can, you, the first thing you can expect is to feel like you're not alone in whatever you're going through, whatever season of life you're in, whether you were at the the height of your life, experiencing amazing things or at the lowest of the low or in the boring middle, I think you could expect a big exhale. You are not alone. That's a big theme in my book. And then I think you can also expect to understand how the ordinary stuff of life is really extraordinary. Those are the big things in life is understanding our fundamental day-to-day life actually has a huge impact on who we are and how we live, I think you can also expect to grow and being able to tell the truth and being able to be honest about your life. And then I think you can expect to understand how you personally can make a difference in the world. You were created to give a radical contribution and it really matters how God wired you, how he shaped you, who you are really matters. It matters to the rest of us. We need you in this world. And I think you can understand how to impart more of who you are into the spaces and places that God has put you.
0: Oh, girl. Well, it's on my reading list for the fall. So excited for this to come out. (laughs) Me too. By the time this is airing, it will be, you can download it as soon as you're listening to this. And I am just so excited. I could soak up your words all day long. Thank you for writing this message. Thank you for sharing about your heart behind it here on the Radiant Podcast. And you know, we're going to have to have you back on here again. I would love it. (laughs) Thank you so
1: much, Kelsey. I love your community.